again. We're, um, we've resumed our two services again. Uh, while, while we were having the one service for the, those four weeks over the Christmas New Year break, um, we were aware that there were a lot of people away. Cheryl and I were able to count up at least 50. So um, that's a lot of people away. Now, in the first service, we, had a, we still had a good number, number this morning, and around about 10 people put up their hand that this was the first Sunday that they had come back. So here today, I think there's still a lot of people away, but have you been away and this is your first Sunday back since the new year? Okay, yeah, okay, about another 10. So we're looking for about another 30 to come back over the next week or so. Isn't it nice to have holidays? This year, Pastor Glenn and I are doing a joint theme on laying a godly foundation. And we're looking at numerous passages of scripture. And this year, there's going to be a little bit of a, a change in the preaching pattern in that last year, I, pre I prepared a sermon for every Sunday and Pastor Glenn had a message for every Sunday. And then on the fourth Sunday of the month, we would swap over. That was the way we were working last year. This year, we're going to do it a little bit easier. Um, I'm preparing a, a message, and I will preach at both services. Then Pastor Glenn will prepare a message, and he will preach at both services. So our preparation time for messages is going to be halved. So we're looking forward to that. It will release us for more time for visitation, for forward planning, for visioning, and yeah, some of the, just the, the other essentials that happen around in the church during the week. My message this morning is on this rock. And I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, just going to read a few verses from verses 13 to 19. Matthew chapter 16. Actually, I might just remove that. That's fine. You've got me on. You've got me on this. Good. Okay. I was just hearing a bit of an echo. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'll read verse 20. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. The Aramaic word is Messiah. The English translation is Messiah. They all mean exactly the same thing. I want to just commence this morning by asking you a very important question. Whoops. Could we have the next slide, please? It's a very good question. There we are. The question is, who are you? Who are you? Well, I look at my, my own life, I look at myself, and I think, well, I'm one person. There's only one of me. Last time I looked in the mirror, there was only one of me. Um, I am a father. I am a husband. I am a son. I'm also a brother. So there, there's four of me. Is there? Are there four of me? No, there's only one of me, but I am revealed in at least four different ways. As I talk with different people, I am a different person. Like to Cheryl, I am her husband. I'm not her father, although on Father's Day she does do treats for me. So though I am only one person, I am often revealed in many different ways. And it's the same with God. Though there is only one God, he often reveals himself to us in different ways. And as we read the Bible, we discover some of those ways. In one part, he revealed himself as a burning bush to Moses. In another, he revealed himself as a floating pot. That was to Abraham. God is not limited. He is one God, but he can reveal himself to us in many different ways. So Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? As we look at that, I want to ask you, who are you? Now, this question is a classical philosophical question of life. If you've ever studied philosophy, I have. If you've ever studied philosophy, this is the ultimate exam question. Who are you? Now, if you say, if you say you are Elizabeth... Peter, Angela, Robert, or whatever your name is, you are defining yourself by a name or title that was usually given to you by your parents, your mother and father at birth. But what does that say about you? It really doesn't say much, does it? If you say you are a father, a mother, a brother a sister, a son, daughter or the like, 
then you are defining yourself by your relationship with others around you. But does that really answer the question? If you say you are a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, an electrician, an office worker, uh, or any profession or, or job that you may do, you are defining yourself by what you do for a living. And if you say you are a free spirit, a small breath in the midst of a mighty wind, a thought that transcends time and space, your response is rather esoteric and, and understood only by those who love to say much but really say nothing. So the question remains, who are you? And I'm sure that each one of you could write a book about your life. And if you then ever reread that book, you would say, but I am so much more. In reality, the question, who are you, is a question that is not very easy to answer at all. And in our reading, the Lord Jesus was traveling with his disciples. He asked them this question. Who do the people say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's of interest that in the question, the Lord Jesus described himself as the Son of Man. He didn't just say, uh, what do the people say that I am? Or who do the people say that I am? He said, who do the people say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's of interest that this is a title that Jesus gave to himself. But what does it mean? Is it one of those esoteric statements, I am a mist? In, I'm, a, I'm a breath of mist in the wind of a hurricane. Yeah. No, it's not one of those esoteric statements. The expression son of man is actually an ancient Jewish title for one who is a prophet of God. To any Jewish person in their culture, they clearly understood what Jesus was saying. It was a title applied to men like Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel. And having said this, it is also a title in the Gospels that the Lord Jesus often used to describe himself. In fact, Jesus described himself with this title approximately 80 times. 80 times. In the answer to Jesus' question, who do the people say that I am? His disciples responded by repeating to Jesus some of the comments that they had heard from the crowds of the people. They said, some people say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. That was an easy answer for them to give. 
But let's be very clear about one thing. In the Jewish religious culture, they did not believe in the concept of reincarnation. They did not hold with reincarnation. And this is not what they are implying. Not at all. They are not saying that, oh, Jesus, you are John the Baptist, reincarnated. That's not what they're saying. What the people were really meaning and saying is that they thought the Lord Jesus was a prophet in the style and conviction of prophets like John the Baptist, like Elijah, like Jeremiah. They were saying that Jesus' ministry was obviously from God. Jesus was speaking on behalf of God. And that Jesus wasn't afraid to speak out what God had given him to say. Regardless of how the authorities of the day may have disliked or been offended by his message, Jesus was going to always speak what God had told him to say. You know, so often in the Old Testament, the prophets faced hardship, ridicule, and persecution because they would not be silenced. They would not be silenced. And because they dared to be bold, dared to be outspoken, and dared to be uncompromising as they called people to faith and made known the message of God. These prophets and Jesus would have made lousy politicians because politics is all about compromise. It's all about making people think that you're saying what they want to hear, but in actual fact doing the opposite. We only need to look at our Australian politicians of today to understand that. But the Old Testament prophets and Jesus would have none of that. They said what they meant and they lived out what they said. They were bold, they were deliberate, they were uncompromising and it was all for God. The Lord Jesus then asked his disciples the far more direct question. Before it had been the question, who do the people say that I am? It's very easy to give an answer to what others are saying. But now Jesus is asking them, but who do you say that I am? This is really laying it on them. It really puts the disciples on the spot. There was no escaping or hiding from this one. How were they to answer the Lord? And I am sure when Jesus asked this question, but who do you say that I am? All of the, uh, all of the apostles or all of the disciples would have immediately looked around at each other. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? You say it first and then I can agree with you. Yeah. You can hear it, can't you? You can hear the silence. But who do you say that I am? And at this stage, we do not know if the disciples had any knowledge of the miraculous events surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus 
or we don't understand what they knew of the Lord's confrontation with the devil during his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. We can only assume that this stage, this early stage in his ministry, the disciples didn't know a lot of this background. To the disciples, it seemed obvious that the Lord Jesus was a very good and godly man. No one would have disagreed with that. He was a man of faith and prayer. Yeah, that was obvious because they knew how so often of a morning Jesus would go get up early, he would go out to a quiet place, he would pray because so often they had to come and get him. And late at night, when everybody else had gone home, Jesus would go out and just pray by himself. We know that he was very much a man of faith and prayer. Jesus was also a man of excellent character and strong conviction. He never ever told a lie. He never ever said anything deceitful. He was truly a man of utmost character and conviction. It also seemed that he had a special awareness or unique sense of the presence and imminence of God. Jesus demonstrated a, a connection with God that was so close and so personal to the point that in his prayers he even addressed God as Father and he used the word Abba which translating today into English would be Daddy. Jesus had that, that sense of closeness with God that the disciples had never ever seen in any of the other leaders of Israel. Yes, it was understandable that people would listen to the messages of the Lord Jesus and see how he repeatedly answered the questions of the Pharisees. And they likened him to one of the prophets of old. But in this Lord Jesus, there was decidedly something more. And that's what the disciples knew. Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a, a prophet like in the Old Testament. In this Jesus, there was something else. It wasn't only his teaching and his spiritual demeanor. There was a divine authority, not only in his teachings, but also in what he did. In his many miracles, Jesus healed the sick. He cast out evil spirits. And he even raised the dead. Other prophets had raised the dead, hadn't they? But the records of, of when they raised the dead, like Elijah, they raised from death people who had only been dead for hours. Now, in the Jewish culture, if a person is raised back to life under three days, it's called resuscitation. This is Jewish culture. You only need to study up about Jewish culture and you'll find this. 
if a person was dead for more than three days in the climate of the Middle East their body starts the dead person's body starts to change and go rotten and it comes to the point after three days the spirit of that person does not recognise the dead body anymore and so will not return to them if they were to rise after three days, Jewish culture says it would be resurrection. Before three days, resuscitation. After three days, resurrection. And of course, we have in the, in the gospel records that Jesus, his friend Lazarus, died. And after three days, Jesus went to visit Mary and Martha. And they said, oh, Jesus, if you had have been here earlier, you could have raised him to life. But it was after three days. Jesus said, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And the lady said, yes. Jesus went to the tomb, rolled the stone back and said, Lazarus, arise. This was after three days. And Lazarus came out alive. Only Jesus in all of Jewish history had ever been able to raise a person after three days and three nights. The Lord Jesus did so much more than all of the Old Testament prophets had ever done. Truly, he was unique like no other. So how could the disciples answer Jesus' question? Who do you say that I am? Well, I am sure that after a very long pregnant pause, finally Simon Peter spoke up. I love this guy. I love Simon Peter. Peter was the one who so often spoke first and asked questions later. Peter was the one to step out of the boat and to walk on water and then wonder if his feet would get wet. Peter was the one that had what we would call foot-in-mouth disease. I love this guy because he reminds me so much of myself. Yes. On behalf of all of the disciples... Peter declared, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, much is made of this profound statement, but few really understand what Peter was actually saying. We so often quote it, and we expect that others will automatically understand it, even if we're not completely sure ourselves. We teach it in our, in our kids' church program. But you ask the teachers, what do you understand by this? And they'll go, oh, well, uh, yep. The word Christ is actually not what Peter said. Because it's not an Aramaic word. The word Christ is a Greek word and it's in the translation from the Aramaic that the writers put the word Christ. 
the actual Aramaic word is Meshiah, which in our English we translate as Messiah. In his native language, what Peter would have said is, you are the Messiah, that is, the anointed one of God. That's what Messiah means. You are the anointed one of God, the son of the living God. And that is a title. The son of God is a title of kingly authority. It means the one who is the inheritor of the throne of David. As son of man was a prophetic title, son of God is a kingly title. It has nothing to do with genetic inheritance. It has all to do with the Jewish cultural titles of authority. And that's what Peter was saying. For a person from the Jewish culture, this was clearly understood. You are the anointed one of God and you are the, the true inheritor of the, king of, da of the throne of David, not King Herod. Now, if King Herod had have heard Peter make this confession, guess what would have happened to Peter? He would have been put in jail and, like John the Baptist, yes. That's why none of the other disciples were game to say it. But Peter, foot and mouth disease. The Lord Jesus, as far as Peter is concerned, was the one who fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the promised Messiah, concerning the anointed one of God. The one who would be anointed of God to be the saviour of the world. That's what Peter is declaring. Also as the promised Messiah, he would be the inheritor of the throne of David, which had been vacant for over 600 years since Nebuchadnezzar had taken the people away in captivity to Babylon. While many may have thought and hoped that the Lord Jesus was the long-awaited promised Messiah, few were brave enough to say it for fear of blaspheming God and for fear of political retribution from Herod. Peter had no such reserve. He declared what he believed. And in so many other cases, he was prepared to wear the consequences afterward. Jesus' response was not to say, oh, shh, don't say that, the spies. Jesus did not say that. Jesus' response was encouraging to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, he said. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 17 of our reading. It was God who had given Peter this understanding of who Jesus really is. And the Lord Jesus affirmed Simon Peter's faith conviction. What Peter spoke was revelation given to him by God himself. The Lord Jesus then went on in verse 18 to say this. And I also say to you that you are Peter 
And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now this statement of Jesus is both profound and often misunderstood. And at this stage, I apologise to any of our Catholic brothers and sisters if they may be offended by what I am going to say. But I think that they historically have got it wrong. This statement of Jesus... In verse is profound because in John chapter 1 verse 22 at the beginning of his ministry beginning of Jesus ministry we read how the Lord Jesus gave Simon a nickname and that was Peter now have you ever had a nickname do you call your your husbands ladies do you call your husbands sweetheart that's a nickname. Uh, men, do you call your wives gorgeous or darling? Um, your children, um, do you have nicknames for your children? Like Terra, would you come here please? <laughs> Normally nicknames are titles of affection that we give or names of affection. Uh, usually not at school though Jesus gave Simon the son of Jonah a nickname Peter the name actually means in Aramaic little pebble or stone little pebble or stone and it can be likened to the the annoyance created when you get a stone or a pebble caught in your sandal or shoe. You know what that's like? You walk along on a stony path and all of a sudden one stone flicks up and just gets into your shoe. And the next few steps are excruciating. Now what do you got to do? You got to take your shoe off and get rid of it. Because otherwise it'll end up bruising your foot little pebble they might only be small but oh they can cause such annoyance Jesus saw in Peter that he was the sort of guy that can get under a person's skin can annoy them with the things that he says so he called him Peter he called him little pebble you're the sort of guy that can really annoy people but Jesus was saying it in a loving way because you'll get people to think about their lives. So it was a term of endearment. When the Lord Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, Jesus was not referring to Peter. Jesus was not referring to little pebble the person. Jesus was referring to the fact of Peter's confession of Jesus as God's promised Messiah. It was a huge rock. That confession that Jesus 
is the promised Messiah, the anointed of God, the, inher- the rightful inheritor of the throne of David. That is a huge boulder that was placed before every Jewish person and before every Gentile person as well. It's not Peter the person that Jesus was referring to. It was his confession of who Jesus is. And it is upon this faith confession of the Lord Jesus as God's anointed one and the saviour of the world that the church is firmly established. Even today, the church is not established on Peter. It's established on the confession of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. As God's church, we do not preach and teach humanistic philosophies, no matter how nice they may seem at the time. We are to preach and teach Jesus, God's anointed, crucified for the sins of mankind, paying our debt and penalty on the cross of Calvary and rising to new life with the promise of eternal life for all who trust in him. That's the confession of the church. That Jesus is God's anointed upon which our faith is founded today, upon which our hope is established. He is our foundation. Nothing else. It is upon the confession of the Lord Jesus as God's anointed that the church stands solid, true and firm until that time when the Lord Jesus will return. And all those who trust in him will be gathered unto him. And there are some key Bible references there for your consideration. Yes, the Lord Jesus promised that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against his church. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus concluded his affirmation of Peter's confession by saying these words, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a declaration of the power and of the authority of God given to those who confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We have been given the authority of God. No more do we act merely out of human emotion and willfulness. God has revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus in a way that is so profound... Remember I said earlier on, who am I? I am husband, father, son. But I am one person. So God is one person. Revealed in God the Father. Revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus. Revealed in the Holy Spirit today. God is alive and at work and active today. He is not limited And he can reveal himself to us 
in whatever way he chooses. When we confess Jesus as the Lord of our lives, we are filled with the Spirit of God and so now live and act according to the heart, mind and will of God. This is what it means when we say we are truly born again. Our lives are no longer on the foundations of what others may say. Our lives are now founded on the foundation of God in Christ Jesus. That's new birth. No longer do we live to please the loudest and the longest voices in the world. Through our faith relationship with the Lord Jesus, we now live to please, honour and glorify God in everything we do and in everything we say. As the disciples of the Lord Jesus listened to his teachings and saw all that Jesus did, they gradually grew in their faith, in their courage and in their determination. Yes, they were not perfect. They made mistakes. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But when it counted, these disciples of Jesus stepped out and they made a difference for God. They went into a world that had no hope and they gave hope. They went into a world that was very selfish and self-focused and lacking love and they poured out the love of God. They made a difference for God. Today, the legacy of their faith continues and the legacy of the faith of all those who come after them as well. Jesus put the boulder, the rock in the room of the confession of who Jesus is. And we are to do the same. I want you to think just for a moment how you came to faith. Who was it that introduced you to the Lord Jesus? Who was it who enabled you to make your faith confession, that boulder, that rock? Was it a mother or a father? Was it a grandparent? Was it a friend? Was it a minister in a church? Was it someone at school, a teacher maybe? Who was it who was significant in your life that you invited the Lord Jesus to become the Lord of your life and the Saviour of your life? The Lord's asking you to also make such a confession. To put that rock in the room that Jesus is Lord. Whether it be in your home, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be across the back fence, we've got to make a confession. Jesus is asking the question, who do you say that I am? And brothers and sisters, may your confession of the Lord Jesus be the rock, the solid foundation upon which your life is also firmly established. May the Lord Jesus be the one to guide all your thoughts and decision-making, both in the present as well as into the future. And like those first disciples, may you find your courage and determination 
to make your stand for God so that Lord may build his church on the rock of your confession. To him be all the glory, honour and praise. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Would you like to close us in prayer? Pastor Bruce, let's all stand.
and wondrous and mighty. You are too much for us to be able to fully understand and know for our brains are limited but you are infinite. We thank you that you have chosen to make yourself known to us. You revealed yourself to us through the words of the prophets of old. You have revealed yourself to the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then to Moses. Now you have revealed yourself in human flesh, in the person of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. We know you now. We have understanding. And may our understanding to continue to grow as you grow our faith. And now, Lord God, as we move from this house of worship, this house of adoration, this house of praise, send us forth with courage and conviction like the disciples that we may boldly declare the rock, the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. And may you, Lord God, be glorified and honoured in all of our witness and testimony. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.